Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. This is our recruiting blast version of the Peristyle Podcast, where we talk all about USC football recruiting. Of course, it is heating up, getting hot, lots going on. USC still hanging on to the number one class in the country. We're going to talk to uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez about the class and answer all of your questions. Uh, what's up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there for the first quarter of the recruiting stretch. Yeah, it's going to be a, a crazy recruiting stretch through the, the All-Star Games, uh, going down to San Antonio for a week for the Army Bowl. That's always kind of crazy. Lots of stuff going on there. And, of course, signing day. Absolutely nuts. Any, any reason to believe that this season won't be crazy <laughs> during January and February? No, those uh, those prayers were dashed back when USC lost to Arizona and then turned around and lost to UCLA. And then after that, you knew USC was just going to have to try to hold on to the commitments it had. They were going to still go out there and look at other guys and have some plan Bs, and USC tries to do it big. So, you know, it's Los Angeles. They're still going to get looks from top players around the nation. It's just a matter of how many of those guys are going to be serious and is it worth, you know, necessarily gambling what you have uh, with maybe some guys out there that uh, are kind of long shots. But we're going to see. You know, we're going to see how it uh, kind of starts to play out. The good thing for USC, and we talked about this uh, uh, at length in the podcast last week, was just the early enrollees and getting those guys in and kind of, you know, putting a little bit of a stamp on at least half of this recruiting class. Getting some of those guys in is a big deal, and it's going to kind of restore confidence to the rest of the class. And then from that point, you have something to build on after the dead period. All right, well, let's get into it. We do have some questions. We uh, There's a couple of big topics we're going to talk about. Some official visitors coming in. You've been teasing things in the war room for the last couple of months, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But first, uh, Eldridge Massington, four-star wide receiver, former commit uh, out of Texas, decommitted uh this week we actually got a, qu- a twitter question about it i'll let you talk about the decommitment and then answer this question too it's from at p underscore luke with massington's decommitment do you think usc will go after another wide receiver or hope for mcquay or redfield you know i think that's really where the targets are leaning towards another position um i think you know obviously with redfield he's a guy that can play on both sides of the football USC has talked about that with him on his in-home visits. He's had two in-home visits the last two weeks with Kennedy Palomalu, and it's going to be a chance with him to maybe sit down with T. Martin, the receivers coach, and chat a little bit about maybe playing both sides of the ball. Max Woodfield still, I think, leans towards playing free safety, and that's still the position that he wants to play. And in my opinion, that is his best position. Um, you know, I often talk about Sue Cravens and how – great of an athlete he is and and how he can play receiver and he can play running back um, I, I still think sue is definitely a safety and i think even more so max redfield is a safety um, and max redfield is going to be coming in on this visit uh, with hopefully for usc fans 
Leon McQuay III. We're not really sure. We've heard some back and forth on whether Leon McQuay is actually going to make it in um, this this weekend. I, I you know originally was told uh, up until about I don't know Wednesday morning that uh, he was a go and was hearing that you know he'd come out with his family and this was going to be a very big weekend for him because he's going to be an early enrollee and he's going to be making his decision here uh, in the next uh, week week and a half. Um, so. That all of a sudden kind of changed. There seemed to be some issues with flights and some things that were going on, and I was hearing all of a sudden that he wasn't going to be able to make it, and they were going to try to postpone him to the week after, and he'd be the only recruit actually coming in um, the week of the, uh, I guess it would be the 11th um, at that point. Um, and uh, now I'm kind of hearing again, no, he might be back out, and he might actually make it out with his family. So we're just going to have to, you know, kind of pin our ears to the ground and see what happens. Um, but obviously a huge visitor, a guy, one of the few guys that's not committed, that has been to USC unofficially, that has been recruited by USC for a long time, has a bond with the USC coaches, uh, really likes USC because of reasons other than football, because you look at the football season, obviously the disappointment if there are kids just looking at USC because USC is a winning name. Well, obviously this season doesn't represent it very well. So with him, he wants – to be a sound engineer slash kind of music major. He wants to work in studios. He produces his own music. Um, he's uh, a very, very talented student. He has a 4.5 GPA, one of those rare kids that actually has a GPA that matches his 40 time. Um, so you're looking at a guy that's very serious off the field as well. He, he really legitimately uh, has some interest academically in USC and being in Los Angeles with the music industry and the entertainment industry would be a big draw for him as well. So that's definitely an aspect that kind of hangs out there and is something that USC can recruit around um, despite you know the season and, and all the rumors that are swirling around about the coaching staff and about Lane Kiffin and, and everything that they're having to fight on with every in-home visit. Um, well, the, the Massington situation, you know, you, you've talked about it on the message boards. Maybe you want to explain a little bit what happened there for the parrot to the uh, podcast audience about Eldridge Massington and that decommitment, why this opens up one more spot. Well, uh, Eldridge Massington is a 6'3", 195-pound wide receiver that committed to USC uh, over the spring. He committed to USC sight unseen and was just a big Trojan fan. And really, USC offered him, I think, kind of in the process of evaluations where he was starting to get a lot of offers. Uh, Alabama had come in and offered him, I think, just you know that morning when USC came in on an evaluation visit and turned around and offered him that night. He waited a few days. He decided to commit to USC. Over the summer, he did take an unofficial visit to USC. We saw him at a couple camps. He ended up going to uh, the University of Tennessee for camp uh, in late July after he had visited USC. It was kind of an odd thing, you you know, you you take your you know your your unofficial visit to USC, you camp at USC at the Rising Stars camp, you're committed, and then all of a sudden he's going to Tennessee almost right after. So there were some questions about you know why are you going to Tennessee? The 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 answer to that was his coach had uh, another. Uh, player uh, at West Mesquite that he wanted to showcase, and Tennessee wanted to see him, but Tennessee also wanted to see Massington, and there was a better possibility of that other player getting a scholarship offer if Massington showed up and, and performed for them at the camp. So 
Tennessee kind of talked to the coach. The coach decided to go up there. He brought both players to the camp. Uh, from what I understand, and there's been, you know, kind of controversy as to this, uh, USC didn't want Massington to perform at the camp, and I have to believe that totally. After going to the five-star challenge, after going to the opening, after going to uh, the Rising Stars camp, he really didn't need to go to another camp, especially to a school where he wasn't committed and wasn't thinking about going to. And he turns around and does perform, blows out his knee, and to make matters worse, USC was kind of the last to hear about it. Uh, they had to hear about it through the media. So I think that kind of put him on thin ice with USC right there. Um, and so USC, you know, but they didn't pull a scholarship offer. They just, they said, okay, look, at, we need you to get in early. We want you to be able to rehab and finish your rehab here before you actually start running again, before you start, you know, doing anything that's uh, really competition-wise going to put stress on that knee. So he's been going through training. He was taking night school. He was going through night school classes. Uh, he even told me he kind of stopped going to night school as much as he needed to during the football season just because of everything going on. And I think it basically caught up with him. He says he can still get in early at a school. He's still looking for a school to get in early. I think it's going to be one of those things where these schools that he's looking at now, um, his top list right now is going to be Alabama, which he says he's going to visit this weekend. Uh, he's got LSU. He's got UCLA. Um, I think getting in early, he's going to have to probably get a quarter system. I just don't know if he's able going to be able to get in early academically. He said that wasn't really you know, the biggest issue with USC. USC just didn't have enough spots, um, mainly – their their senior class, I guess, was not uh, necessarily all graduated. And so in terms of the total scholarship limit that USC is under with 75, he wasn't able to get in as an early enrollee. Uh, but I kind of tend to believe he didn't have his academics together, and, uh, and that was going to play a big part. Um, I think some dark horses for him are going to be more like ASU and a few other schools if he wants to get in early. If he decides to be a June you know, enrollee, then I think, you know, he probably has uh, much more offers, much more options. Um, but I don't think USC is going to be one of them. I think USC and him are gone. He's actually still put USC in his list. He really loves USC, really wanted to go to USC. But it's one of those things that, you know, you, with, with the, the limited scholarships that USC has, uh, you can't go to a camp and say you're not going to perform below your knee and then, um, you know, not, not tell anybody, not say anything, and they find out and they end up calling you because you're on crutches, you know, going around the sidelines. It's just one of those things that was one thing after another. And so uh, it becomes a guy that decommits, you know, kind of sort of quote, unquote. Um, we could see maybe another one of those guys in the class. Um, it, it's not necessarily the sky is falling. I, I, like I said, I don't see USC necessarily having to run out and go find another wide receiver right away. Um, there might be another guy out there that, that they want to look at. Um, there's some names out there. We'll save those names for war rooms and, you know, future uh, features. But um, I think right now it's definitely look at the safeties, look at the defensive line. Uh, okay, well, let's go to a question. That's uh, Martin in Ontario, California. He said, uh, is SC looking at any true center since more than likely Holmes will be leaving? He actually will be leaving. He's a senior. And does SC have any recruits that are considered preferred walk-ons? If so, how are you able to talk to them? Haven't heard much about preferred walk-ons, and that's that's just something that we don't really cover until it kind of happens. Um, you know, it, it's it's 
there's way more going on right now than to worry about, you know, who's going to be a preferred walk on. Um, <laughs> that's just not, that's just not a priority right now in terms of trying to cover the recruiting and, and you've got five-star guys that uh, are out there and, and hearing all this negative attention from other coaches and, you know, the class in terms of the core of it, uh, it, it the important part is, is those guys that right now are the four-star five-star guys. You know, I don't want to say that just because it's like, Oh, well, they're more talented. So we don't care about anybody else because quite frankly, I think, you know the the better the better classes the classes that turn out for teams are those classes and I've said this ad nauseum you pepper in those star guys USC has a fantastic class right now it's the number one class in the nation but you could argue it's going to be one of those classes that can never live up to the hype that it has um, the USC's had some great classes and you're just you're going to have too many of those top ranked guys. Uh, can can become eagle guys. They can become guys that they, that kind of take a sense of entitlement maybe with them when they come in. You know, they think, oh, we're the number one class, so we kind of have our run of the campus. They clash with the senior class. We've seen it happen at USC, seen it happen at Florida, seen it happen at various places. I think you definitely have the really good classes are those classes that you get those superstar guys, but you get, you know, maybe three or four of those guys, and then you bring in some role players around those guys that really fit your program and are able to just come in and, and do what you ask them to do uh, as they develop within the program. You know, they're not going to be guys that make that big impact right away, but, you know, in a couple years they start to make that impact. And we saw that with the, the class of 30 that USC brought in. You know, they brought in some kickers, a snapper, and some guys, and people are going, well, what the heck are they offering two kickers? Why the heck are they offering a snapper? But, you know, that those guys can end up being big contributors uh, to the program down the way, and, uh, and, and I think it was, you know, a good thing to go after some of those guys who are a little less off the radar. This class is completely on the radar. Every, every guy is a national guy. They've got four 14 Army All-Americans. So it's one of those things that, you know, it's going to be it's going to be more of like, you know, we got to protect what we have right now and then we'll see if it's able to pan out and you have all these, you know, quote-unquote can't-miss type prospects um, if they're actually actually able to come in and, and be those type of guys. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a handful for Lane Kiffin in terms of, you know, juggling the possible egos. Um, I think, you know, character-wise, it's, it's a good class. Personality-wise, good class. A lot of good kids. You know, you don't get that right off the bat from them that, you know, they're ego guys. But when they get brought in together, sometimes it changes a little bit, and um, you definitely kind of have to form it a little bit and, and be on top of it. The uh, true center thing is interesting, too, because now we've learned that Abe Markowitz may not be back. We're still not sure what's going on there, but Lane Kiffin said there wasn't room for him. He still could be a walk-on. We're trying to find out more about that. There's more scholarship rules and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it just it keeps getting – we think we think we figure it all out. It seems to get more complicated. So There's always something. Yeah. You know, there's always – and it's USC football, and so – every there's never a dull moment we always laugh and talk about it there's just never a dull moment and yeah this is something that's kind of popped up now and we're all trying to figure out well, what the heck is that well how is it how could you not have a mark which come back when you don't really have a center I mean, we saw what happened when cyrus hobby came in against stanford i mean usc was just they were not prepared it was just not the right fit now that's not necessarily totally to the, the cyrus hobby's fault i mean a lot has to go on the coaching too i mean you guys have to understand that these kids, they only learn so much in a couple of years. And Cyrus Hobby is, is what? He's just a redshirt freshman. So, you know, that's, it takes a little bit of time for guys to get acclimated. And obviously he just wasn't prepared. And, uh, and it really affected the way uh, the team played and the offense played. I mean, you have to think if Colin Holmes plays in that game against Stanford, USC probably wins. 
because USC just couldn't. I mean, they could barely snap the ball at one point in that game. <laughs> so, I mean, it was like offensively there was just no way they were going to be able to score uh, many more points than they got just in that first half. And from that point on, it was just, oh, man, hopefully they just don't turn the ball over and give Stanford easy scores. I thought the defense really played valiantly in that game. Um, and so to the true center question specifically, is there a true center on the board? I have to say Khalid Rogers is that guy, or excuse me, Khalil Rogers, Khalid Holmes and Khalil Rogers always, you know, Khalil, Khalid. Okay. Khalil Rogers, who's a 6'3", 305 pound, uh, he's a guard uh, from Eastern Christian Academy, which is the same high school that Kenny Bigelow goes to, four-star, number one ranked guard in the nation. We've seen him in person. Here's the thing about Khalil Rogers that I love, and this is, again, almost goes back to uh, what I was saying as far as the role players and peppering guys in, that are not necessarily a highly ranked guy. In this instance, he is a highly ranked guy, at least by rivals. There's a lot of other networks and a lot of other services that really don't think that much of Khalil Rogers. But I think this is a guy that when I watch him play, I think there's no way he's going to get punked the way that we saw Khalid Holmes and, unfortunately, Cyrus Hobby in the Stanford game get punked. He's just got that attitude and that way about him that he's not going to get blown up. He may not be the most spectacular guy uh, in terms of offense, uh, offensive blocking, pass blocking. He's you know kind of built like a fire hydrant, um, not the most showy, long-armed, 6'5", you know, just that, that physique guy that you go, wow, man, that guy's a, you know, the, the, he's going to be an NFL superstar. No, he's not that guy, but he is just dominant, and he's really got the attitude and the confidence and that hard-nosed, blue-collar way about him that I feel like that kind of leadership and that kind of confidence, um, you know, if, it, if, it, if it's just plugged in and used the right way by USC, I think that's a guy that could definitely come in and play center for him. I, I think he has the head on his shoulders. I think he has the composure. Things don't get to him. You know, we saw him at a lot of camps calling out just everybody. Just, you know, he just goes out there and anybody that looks like they might be good, he wants to go against. And if he, and if he gets beat, which we didn't see very often, I think I saw him maybe twice in the whole time I saw him do one-on-ones, him get beat, he comes back and wants that guy again. Two out of three, five out of seven, uh, ten out of eight, whatever it is. He, 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 come on, I want to, I want to keep going until I'm going to get the better of you. And he ends up doing that, you know. So I think he's a guy that's a possibility. Maybe there's a JUCO possibility too. Sean Harlow, six five, uh, two hundred and seventy five pound. Um, just kind of, he's a kind of an offensive tackle for San Clemente, but I think USC would recruit him more as a center. Um, there's, there's guys like J.D. Hennett from uh, Fountain Valley High School, 6'5", 265 pounds. There's guys out there that USC could recruit as a center. They're not going to be the, the high four-star, five-star guys, but there's a possibility that they could bring him in and it could open up another, another spot for you know a guy that would be a center because we've seen you know they don't necessarily have a guy that jumps off the depth chart is oh well he's going to be great he's going to step in for Colin Holmes and be a sure thing you know Cyrus Hobby maybe people thought he was going to be that guy but he's got a long ways to go and if Abe Markowitz is not coming back yeah then then they really I mean they're going to have to go with somebody that's going to be young so they got to have somebody in this class because we haven't seen anybody on the roster at this point that's going to be uh, that's going to be a guy that's going to come in and be dominant. Let's go to Tim. He says, will the announcement announced retirement of Monty Kiffin have a negative effect on the recruitment of someone we already mentioned, Leon McQuay? I understand Monty was very close, closely involved in his commitment. It seems like USC was in the lead. I think it does have somewhat of an impact. This is 
one recruit where Monty Kiffin was actually the regional recruiter and happened to be uh, the position recruiter for Leon McQuay. So you kind of have a double, um, you know, you're talking to him from a position standpoint, you're recruiting him from a position standpoint, and then you're also going there and visiting and being involved with him uh, from a one-on-one standpoint, probably knew his family very well. Um, and Monty Kiffin had a great personality. I mean, people talk about Monty Kiffin and, and what the defense didn't do, this, that, and the other, but you have to look at the recruiting side of things. And while Monty certainly wasn't out there, you know, beating the trail like Ed Ergeron or, or, or T. Martin or some of these other coaches that USC has on the staff from the recruiting standpoint, he does have a great personality. He's a, he's a, a, a very um, a kind of gregarious, funny. Um, he, he's just, he's, he's very interesting. He, he's, he's different. He's a lot different than, than Lane Kiffin is, you know, in terms of personality and kind of how he approaches you. And, you know, we, we saw it a lot in uh, the the interview that, that just went up with Chris Hawkins. If you read that, you kind of see, uh, get a little bit of a, 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 a mental picture of Monty Kiffin, kind of away from you know the the, the press box, away from the the coaching box, and and how he is as a recruiter and a personality. And obviously in Tampa, and that's you know the the part of the country where uh, Leon McQuay is from. He's a huge looming figure. Um, he's, you know, and obviously he's still, I think, a positive for USC, and you know he's definitely going to be around. And McQuay, you know, if he does visit this weekend or the week after, or whatever it may be, you know, uh, Monty Kiffin's still going to be there, and he's still going to say great things about USC and still say great things about Lane Kiffin. So that's not necessarily a big deal. But not having there in the future, yeah, there's some impact there, just because you, they have a coach that they have a good feel for and they have a good trust for. And I think that kind of was, again, what Chris Hawkins was saying as well. You know, this was a guy that we felt um, was, was, was looking out for me, recruited me, kind of stood on the table for me, to, for me to get an offer. And when that coach leaves, you feel like maybe you don't have a little bit of that champion on the coaching staff. Um, so the other coaches have to have to make up for it. They have to, you know, step in and, and coach Marvin Sanders has to, you know, build that rapport. There's going to be a lot of questions about who's going to be the new defensive coordinator. What is the system going to be? What are the coverages going to be? What's the, the, you know, the philosophy of that new defensive coordinator. And I don't know how many of those questions are going to be able to be answered this weekend by Lane Kiffin. And that's, you know, this is really going to kind of come back to Lane Kiffin as much as the assistant coaches with these official visits. USC has not had a official visit yet. Not one. They didn't have any official visits during the season. And that's, you know, it's not completely odd for USC. Usually they have very few, even goes back to Pete Carroll. But I think this is the first time they've not, have not, not had one person actually officially visit. So this is the first weekend. So Lane Kiffin's definitely got to step up. He's definitely got to give that kind of uh, – state of the union of the program address to all these kids show that, you know, there's a direction with the program. This is where we have to go. This is what we want to do. This is how we're going to accomplish it and really set some, some certainties for the program. Um, Because if he's starting to check out and he's starting to fade a little bit and the season's over for him and they kind of take that, you know, attitude with him on the recruiting trail and the kids are going to see right through that. They'll see right through Lane Kiffin. So, you know, it, that they have to have that confidence 
uh, in him, and he has to have that confidence in himself that, yeah, we had a bad season, but you know what? The season before that, we had 10 wins, and, you know, we weren't supposed to do that. So, you know, we can come back from that season, and uh, scholarships, no scholarships, what have you. You know, this is an adjustment period. Nobody's gone through this period before of sanctions. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. This is USC, and you, and you accentuate the positive. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be – this weekend is going to be – a pretty good test as to, you know, how these kids come away from their meetings with the coaches and the feel. And you're going to be able to tell, even reading between the lines, you know, are, are things copacetic at USC? Are they good at USC? Are they positive? Are these kids coming away saying, yeah, um, it's, we're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. And you'll tell that immediately from the recruits uh, that are committed, I think, more than just the recruits that are out there that are targets, the guys like McQuay that are coming in, the guys like even Redfield. It's going to be more about, does Chris Hawkins come away feeling good about USC? Does Sue Cravens come away good feeling about USC? Uh, Kylie Fitz, you know, all these guys that are coming in early on visits, are these the guys that come away feeling even more confident and glowing? Because if they're not, then you've got a problem. All right, let's see. Greg in the OC wants to know, when is Darius Rogers going to be a member of the football team? He wanted us to talk about some scholarship math too, taking Silas's red spot. We're not going to go into that. There was a lot of, it's pretty much the same as it's been before. We'll update that as, as more stuff comes to light. We'll keep the scholarship chart updated, but maybe give people an update on what you've heard about Darius Rogers. Darius Rogers, I believe is actually on campus and he's been um, taking meetings with the team. I don't think he can actually practice yet, but I think he's been at practice. Uh, you could verify that uh, for me, Ryan, because I have not been at practice this week. But on Twitter, according to him, he's actually been uh, around the team and, and is allowed to, to watch film and kind of hang around a little bit. And um, he's going to enroll uh, with uh, the team, I think it's January 10th is uh, when he comes in and is officially a student. But he's already been around the football team and um, been in film and kind of doing some some things with the football players. So he's uh, pretty much a part of the team at this point. Okay. Uh, let's see. Anthony had a couple questions uh, first. Uh, two... I guess you have not seen him at, uh, at practice. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot about to mention about that. Yeah. Um, no, I did. There's only been one ball practice. It was on Wednesday, and we did not see him. It was at the Coliseum. Um, and there was only like, it was really not that well attended. Only two parents were there. Uh, there was a lot of the seniors that were in just like regular clothes coaching. I, I did not notice him there at practice. Uh, it doesn't mean I meant, I mean, he wasn't there. He could have been there, but I didn't see him there. Okay. Uh, so okay. We'll yeah. So sorry about that. I, I should have gave you the update there, but Anthony wants to know, he says two scholarship spots left in a perfect world. Who does USC get between Redfield, McQuay, Goodman, Trey Johnson, and Carl Lawson? Wow, um, totally Redfield and Carl Lawson. That's an easy question. Redfield, because he's the local kid, you keep him away from Notre Dame, that's big. Leon McQuay doesn't go to USC, probably goes to Florida State. So you go after Redfield all day long, twice on Sunday. Uh, and Carl Lawson, just because he's a huge stud, and he's probably the most dominant player that I've seen the whole year. So that's an easy one, yeah. Okay. Rapid then... fire, rapid fire. No, that's awesome. His second one was... And what is the deal with Sebastian LaRue? He has really come off poorly with a lot of his comments in the course of the recruiting process. Is he this year's Jadon Mickens? Is he worth a scholarship spot over the guys that SC has in their two, top two or three? That's from Anthony. Well, yeah, Jadon Mickens. Uh, it's the Jadon Mickens month uh, maybe for USC. Uh, Massington kind of took that role as well. 
Um, yeah, there's definitely a possibility that uh, LaRue could kind of fall into that uh, category. Uh, we're going to kind of wait and see. Um, you know, we're just kind of waiting to see kind of how uh, he takes the process. He goes through visits. Um, you know, he's been enamored with UCLA more than he's, you know, saying publicly. And uh, he's trying to just kind of keep cool and keep his foot in the door with USC. But he's definitely going along and, and wants to be interested in some other schools. And I think with LaRue, the biggest thing is that he wants to play receiver. And he feels he can come in and play receiver as a true freshman. My personal opinion is he can't do that at USC. I just don't think he's good enough. I think he's definitely a better corner. That's going to be the position that he should play in the future, um, at, at least with USC. I, I don't think he can't play uh, receiver at the college level or the Division One level. I think he can. I think he can play that position in the Pac-12. I just think USC right now, talent-wise, I don't see him coming in as a true freshman and being able to play. I think he would have to redshirt. He'd have, he'd have to be a guy that would contribute later on and – I don't think he wants to do that. I don't think he has the patience for that. I think he has a view of, of who he is as a player, and that's a guy that's a slot receiver. And I think, you know, even with this class, i take Stephen Mitchell over him all day as a slot receiver. So uh, I think it's just one of those things that's going to work itself out. And, you know, if he wants to play receiver, he's going to go to Washington State or UCLA or somewhere else. Um, if he wants to kind of uh, come in and, and really just be an athlete and just put and go and play whatever position the coaches ask him and – you know, just not have an ego about it and just say, all right, you know, I'm here to help the team, then he could still be maybe a part of the class. Maybe he hangs through, you know. I mean, it's one of those things where we have the predictable losses, you know, guys like Massington and then those guys that, you know, maybe Eddie Vanderdose, um, you know, he took that official visit to UCLA. He's going to take all five of his official visits. He's going to visit Notre Dame. His last official visit will be with USC. That was kind of something that was rumored and got all twisted and turned. Um, but he will go to USC last for his official visit. Um, there's, you know, a lot of a lot of crazy stuff that can happen. I mean, we like I said, we were literally just getting through the first quarter of this last <laughs> home run stretch. Certainly. Was, I, you know, do, uh, one more thing on LaRue. I Got to see him in person twice this season during the football season. Uh, played Inglewood. Didn't have a catch, which, I mean, it was kind of a running game. It was a weird game. Uh, Santa Monica ended up winning it. But I talked to him afterwards. I don't know. He couldn't have been more positive about USC, and he wanted to win a Heisman there. I mean, he was, like, high on USC, and I've definitely seen some of his comments since then. Also saw him play Sarah, where he did have a few catches, but he was going – one-on-one uh, -on -one with Adoree Jackson, the 2014 five-star kid out of Sarah High School. And, you know, Adoree got the better of him. But, it, you know, Sarah just had a better team, and they, it, it it wasn't all that good. I mean, uh, LaRue had one, I think it was a big punt return, a kick return that was good. You know, he had a few catches, um, you know, played some, some good safety and cornerback and stuff. But, it was, you know, it was tough. I didn't get to talk to him specifically after that game, too. It was tough, though, seeing him on the field. I, you know, if you don't, if your team isn't all that good and – uh, you're not catching a lot of balls. You're supposed to be a you know a receiver, and just you don't have a quarterback that's getting you the ball all that much. It, I, I can see where some of his frustration would settle in. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. What? Well, you already got your thoughts on that. Well, we got one last one. This is. Uh, yeah, I had no more. I couldn't say anything. <laughs> anything more than that? It just. Uh, yeah, that, that's it's pretty. Much, I like um, the kid though. I mean, he's cool, and he was also really positive after. I think it after was, the Notre Dame loss. Yeah, the Notre Dame loss. He, you know, he mm -hmm. was, he was trying to be positive there too, and uh, uh, we're not allowed to talk to those guys when they're when they're on campus. But um, you know, seemed like he was, you know, happy. He's he's happy to be around USC. Wants to be there, like you said. But you know, it just depends on what position, and we'll have to see how that turns out. But this, Ryan Nick, one last one, uh, has a question. He said, if 
GM can give us some names to watch out for in the 2014 class that USC has a good chance to get in the state of California and also around the country. So that's kind of open-ended, but maybe some of the top 2000. <laughs> that's a very, very yeah. open-ended question. Yeah, we'll, we'll end on it. That's our last one. But, you know, some of the top 2014 kids you think that, that USC is big on right now. Well, uh, you know, we've actually already put out, which is probably the earliest we've put out, our target list for the next class. So, I mean, we have the 2013 target list, which we updated last week, and then we already have the 2014 target list already out. So that actually shows you all the players that USC is recruiting and guys that, you know, are targets and and will be targets, at least for USC. It breaks them down kind of into Rivals 100, Rivals 250, um, to some of these guys that are projected in terms of their rankings. Uh, going to be an interesting year i mean the number one quarterback uh right now in california is certainly keller christ keller christ is a 6'2 215 pound quarterback from palo alto california uh he's actually the son of geek christ who coaches quarterbacks at uh the san francisco 49ers so you know from that side you kind of go well this guy's got to be going to stanford uh of course you know maybe Maybe Kevin Hogan is a guy that he's looking at, and, and there's some you know depth chart kind of questions that pop into his head. Uh, it kind of seems to be a two-horse race right now between USC and Stanford, and it could kind of go any way. You know? I, I mean, you've got Max Brown coming in at USC, so that's a guy that's going to be you know, right in front of him. Um, but if maybe Max Brown doesn't play right away and, 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 and Whittick ends up winning that job, uh, it opens up things a little more for USC. But right now I think Keller Chris is kind of – the guy that uh, is 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 the guy that stands out a, a little bit uh, for us as far as quarterbacks. There's one guy that's kind of off the radar that we really liked. We saw at the IMG passing tournament last summer. Uh, a kid that's actually already committed to Vanderbilt from California. He's from San Jose. Uh, KJ Carter Samuels, a big kid, uh, kind of you know looks like a a big uh, outside linebacker type. Um, has a good arm. Uh, just a guy that you know we didn't really get to see outside of that one tournament, but likes him a lot at that tournament where he's uh, actually been uh, projected as a 250 guy uh, in the 2014 class. So that's a possibility of a guy that maybe you know Chris ends up going to uh, Stanford, you know USC if they want to get another quarterback in that class, which I, I think at this point they're probably going to have to. Um, there's there's another possible uh, a name to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, one guy that we just uh, did a story on who's going to be one to watch is going to be Royce Freeman, who's a 6'1", 215-pound running back from Imperial, California. Now, Imperial, California is is an island onto itself. I mean, you have Imperial, yeah, and you have that? kind of Blythe, <laughs> and you have some of these kind of desert communities that you just never really hear about that are a part of Southern California. Well, he lives out there, and he runs uh, the double-wing tee in, uh, in Imperial and has run for – an amazing – I mean, he's literally run for about 6,000 yards and 60-plus uh, touchdowns in the last two years playing for Imperial. So that's, you know, a sophomore in his junior year, he's run over – he's run for over 2,000 yards each season. He ran for uh, about 2,500 yards this past season and about 32, 34 touchdowns. Um, so you're looking at a guy that obviously, you know, competition-wise, he's uh, a good five steps above everybody he's playing against. But you look – at him and you and you see that size and, and the speed that he runs with uh and evidently he's a pretty good clock guy too so he's a guy that's going to be interesting to watch you know i mean usc's always looking for that franchise back and this kid likes usc he's been to usc went up there for the notre dame game 
talk to the USC coaches, and I think uh, most importantly, he likes the offense. He likes the offense that USC plays in, and he wants to be part of that pro-style offense, the pro-style offense that, uh, you know, the pair style is, is always, you know, arguing about, and, you know, we should get away from the pro-style. We need a running quarterback. We need to run the spread. But the pro-style still continues to recruit itself because it's a pro-style offense. Hence the name, and then all these kids, you know, they want to play in the pros, so they want to be prepared for an offense and and be able to make that transition as smooth as possible. And that's something that USC obviously offers. So he likes USC a lot. Just an intriguing kid right now, you know, kind of a guy that just got insane numbers. Great looking kid off the hoof, but you know, I, you know, it's it's hard to necessarily gauge, you know, when you're playing um, down there in in uh, in I don't know what the South Valley, the San Diego Valley. I'm not really even sure what you call that area, but Brawley, Calexico. Um, it's uh, it's definitely competition wise. We've got to kind of figure out how good he really is, and I don't know if we're going to know that until much later down the line. Um, you know, receiver wise. Robert Woods could be leaving. Marquise Lee could be a guy that uh, will be, you know, draft eligible next year. Not a not a fantastic year for for receivers right now. We're kind of looking at at it, and, and there haven't been a lot of guys that have popped off the radar. I know a lot of people like Makia Quick, who's a six foot, one hundred and eighty pound, um, probably a flanker at the next level uh, receiver from Fresno. He came down to the five star challenge. We saw him. He was okay, didn't do anything spectacular. He played really more defensive back than he did uh, receiver, though, and uh, his receiver tape is pretty good. Um, he, he's, a, he's a fairly good player. Uh, we kind of have to see if USC's ready to really go up there and, and recruit Fresno hard again since uh, T. Shepard um, and Deontay Greenberry. I, I think the guy that's got you know a lot of momentum right now at the receiver position, uh, maybe other than Quick, is uh, Juju Smith, John Smith from Long Beach Poly, who's about six foot, 190 pounds, also plays um, safety. And when you look at him, you kind of see that number nine, and you go, oh, you know, another Marquise Lee type. And that's what a lot of comparisons have been made. I don't know if he's quite as athletic as Marquise uh, Lee. You know, Marquise was a, was a guy that was a great track guy, uh, played basketball, was really a basketball player before he was a football player. So you had a lot of raw athleticism with Marquise Lee. Um, just because you got a kid wearing number nine, he's playing safety, he's playing receiver, doesn't necessarily mean he's Marquise Lee. But, you know, watching his receiver film, He's, he's got great awareness. He's got great spatial awareness, great hands, makes some spectacular catches. It's tough to be a really good receiver at Long Beach Poly if you're not a guy like Deshaun Jackson who just basically you can just you know take a little bubble screen and take it to the house. When you're a guy that's really more of a vertical guy, it's tough because Long Beach Poly just does not throw the ball that well downfield. And so this season, you know, he's kind of done more with less in terms of his catches, and he's made some spectacular catches. And um, it's definitely going to be a guy to watch. He's definitely a guy that's kind of got that momentum right now. We've talked about Adoree Jackson at Sarah. You know, I don't know why USC hasn't offered him yet. He's about 5'10", 180 pound. Uh, cornerback, we've got him as a five-star. He's he's played up to that level. I mean, the guy is playing well as a cornerback, which is you know not a position that you can really evaluate a whole bunch um, from a from a from a high school level because you're not seeing him play against really top-notch quarterbacks. And very rarely, you know, he got to at least see um, Sebastian Larue. You know, did a really good job against Sebastian Larue, but he's not seeing a lot of Division One receivers either. So, you, I mean, you know, really have to have that combination of a good quarterback and a good receiver to test a good corner. So we're not seeing a whole lot of that, but we are seeing Adore Jackson take, 
his abilities to special teams and doing some things on offense. And that, to me, is, is really where you start to see, okay, this kid really has that athletic ability. He is that elite talent because he's able to be a threat on punt return, on kick return. And when he does get his hands on the ball as a, as a, as a defensive back, he's taken you know, interceptions back for touchdowns. So another guy that's also, you know, uh, I think a long jump is his, is his, uh, is his, is his uh, event in track. He's a great long jump guy. So he does have that athleticism out of just football. So you know, you know, he's not just okay. You know, he runs that four four, ha ha. But he's really a four six. No, he's he's a legitimate all around great athlete. So he's a guy. They've got Dwight Williams on that team. He's about six one. I don't know about two hundred, two hundred, two hundred five pounds maybe. I don't know how he's put on that much more weight um, this season. Uh, but kind of a Deion Bailey-type linebacker who I really like. I think he's got a, another guy that's just a good athlete, got a really good feel for the football, doesn't make a ton of sudden violent plays. I think that might be something that UNC's looking at. They, they, you know, they, they want somebody maybe a little more physical near the line of scrimmage. Um, he's a little more of a finesse skill guy around the line of scrimmage, um, but a guy that you know could be playing safety really right now. Uh, he's that kind of athletic, and he has uh, that much of an ability to just uh, to be around the football and play well in space. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's guys that we can go on and go on. I think maybe one guy to throw out there would be an out-of-state guy that USC's uh, looking at and, and, and has a pretty good relationship is Vincent Jackson, uh, a 6'2", 230-pound outside linebacker from Tampa, Florida. Um, he's going uh, to be one of those kind of national recruits. We're going to see who kind of comes in on him uh, as, the, as, as time goes on, if, you know, he starts to get – Alabama and, and Florida, you know, some of those schools have been a little hesitant to offer him because he plays for a Jesuit, which is not necessarily the biggest program down there in Tampa. Uh, but USC came in on him early like they did with Nelson Aguilar, like they did with Leon uh, McQuay. Obviously, it's those, those Kiffin ties in Tampa. And uh, he's a kid that uh, is, is real big on USC. came to the Rising Stars camp as a junior, so he's been there unofficially. Um, he's built that bomb with USC. He's been to Los Angeles. And uh, he's a guy that's going to be – one that you're going to want to watch as, as time goes on and uh, could be another one of those Florida kids that USC is able to steal, um, you know, coming in 2014, which right now seems a lifetime and a half away. Exactly. It certainly does. All right. Well, that's uh, that's our show for this week. Thanks for coming on, Gerard, and dropping all the knowledge bombs on us, sharing all your insights. Always great stuff. We'll try to keep doing these every week, heading up to signing day, and I'm sure for a little bit beyond. But thanks again, Gerard, for coming on. Thanks for having me. And, uh, We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, after next weekend. I, I think everybody's going to be pretty uh, amped up to hear about uh, all the reviews from uh, the dozen or so recruits they're going to have for this uh, big recruiting weekend here, uh, December seventh, December eighth. All right. Thanks again, Gerard, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back uh, next week. You can check out the show then on Monday. We'll talk with Coach Harvey Hyde and Dan Weber again. Until next week, take care. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 